Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. It's going to be amazing. I'm really, really excited for all that the Lord's going to do. And, and again, we're going, to, we're going to come alive. I want you to know this is for, it's for everyone, guys. It's for everyone. We were made for this. And I can just tell you personally, there is something that touches my heart. Um, sharing all the time, like throughout the week, but when I come together with the body, there's something really special. And just sharing your faith with people and seeing people touched by the Lord, you are forever changed. There is a joy that is found in that. And I think God has wired us this way. So just so you know you're made for this, how many of you have ever watched a good movie? Everyone? How many of you have ever had a good meal? Here's one thing I can tell you that you've done. After you had a good meal or, or watched a good movie, one of the first things that you did is you go and tell someone about it. Because God has actually wired us that when we see something or experience something really pleasurable, our joy is not fully complete until we bring someone else in to experience it with us. So we're actually missing out on fullness of joy when we don't share with others what it is that Christ has done. And I want you to know that the, this massive wall that feels like is standing in our way from sharing, it's a lie from the enemy. Once you step through, you find out it was paper thin. And that your heart was longing to tell others about what King Jesus has done in your life. Amen. So we're going to be, uh, um, so here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks and we're starting today. We're really going to be focusing on empowering and equipping and training and just we're going to encounter God in these gatherings, but there's also a bigger picture of getting us to ready as we go out. So we'll have different voices coming up over the next few weeks, and I trust it's going to be amazing. And today, we're really going to lay a foundation of just sharing the gospel. Is that cool? This glorious message. Now, there's a lot of things in our hearts. I know for me, I'm sure with the other uh, leaders that will be speaking of taking us into deep places and beautiful revelation, but I really wanted to start just foundational and make sure that we just understand even just like the ABCs of this beautiful message that's been entrusted to us. So that's what we're going to do, and we'll grow and build over the next few weeks. I just feel a momentum is going to start. I feel this morning, one of the things the Lord's going to do is is deposit boldness into hearts this morning. Boldness. Boldness will come as we see the worthiness of Christ the preciousness of the message that's been given to us, the more we see these things, the less self is in the way. That's, that's what it is for me, at least. It's when, when I'm really center-focused is where I find a lot of hesitation. But the more I begin to see Christ and get before his word, the more Andrew steps aside and, and I'm, I just want to go, right? Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 6, 19, he said, pray for me and for the churches that God would give us words in order that we may proclaim the mystery of the gospel with boldness, as it ought to be. <laughs> so I always think like boldness is for these short spurts of life, but actually the common like default of the Christian life is to live in boldness. This is how it ought to be with courage, even in the face of many obstacles. So let's, uh, let's do this. Let's lay a foundation. Acts 20. Let's turn there, please. Yes, Acts 20. Thank you for boldness, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do over these next few weeks. In Jesus' name. All right, Lord, and give me grace to cover all that you have put in my heart. <laughs> you're the Lord of time. <laughs> Multiply it, or I don't know, something else. Okay, Acts 20. 
I want to read this as just a launching pad for us, and then we'll, we'll go through some of the more foundational things. Acts 20, verse 24. Now, here's what's happening real quick is that Paul is speaking with the elders of Ephesus, and he's getting ready to, he's giving a farewell address. He's going to be leaving, and he's heading to Jerusalem. It's actually so beautiful, guys. This very much parallels the ministry of Christ, who was gripped with going to Jerusalem, where he ultimately gave up his life. Paul's following in a very similar footsteps. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but one thing he knows, he says, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that everywhere I go, he is seeing great glory, but also great opposition. And what he knows is that what lies ahead of him is more breakthrough, but also he knows that he's going to experience rejection, persecution, and a whole list of things. And yet Paul will say, regardless of all those things, I am gripped with going forward. And there's a reason why, and I want us to feel what Paul feels, because I think God wants to have a, like a heart exchange. God puts these things in here, not so that we would exalt Paul, but we would see there's an invitation for us to walk in this as well. Like, it's possible for our lives to be so gripped by this gospel we've been given that we too could say, no matter what, I lay my life down to declare this to the world. So verse 24, here's what Paul says. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. What is this ministry that he received? to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. Paul says, in light of all that I know that's coming in my life, rejection and the, and the, and the persecution and, and all that may be, and again, he saw a revival and breakthrough. So it's all, do you know our life as a Christian touches both streams? Paul said, I want to know him in his sufferings, but I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Now, if you go to one extreme, you can find yourself in, in a, you'll get very frustrated with God. Our life touches both streams of the present age, which is marked by sin and corruption, but also by the future age, the age of the spirit. And as a follower of Christ, we will experience both of these things. Actually, our role is we're bringing more of that future age, the age of the kingdom, into the present age, and it's breaking these things, right? But as Paul, if we're going to be, this is not even where I want to go, but if we're going to be carriers of a message of hope that's breaking into the present evil age, Galatians, we will feel the effects of breaking into the present evil age. Paul felt the effects of breaking into the hardness of corruption that comes from the fall, right? So that's, that's, those are the things you're going to feel as you go in, but there's going to be glory that's coming all over that. So all that to say, though, Paul says, I've received a gift. That's what he's saying. I've received something. He says it's a gift. And it's the ministry or testifying, it's a ministry, it's testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Guys, Paul sees this ministry as a gift. It's not burdensome. It wasn't something that he was doing to prove to himself and others that he's a really good Christian. He says, this is an incredible opportunity that God has given to me. And I feel the Lord wants to touch us this morning with the preciousness of the gospel and the ministry that he's given to us. Because when it starts hitting our hearts, what will happen is it starts rearranging all of our spiritual appetites and schedules and convictions and priorities. And we start saying, God, no matter what, no matter the cost, like Paul, I'm no longer living for personal gain, personal comfort, personal security, personal popularity. God, I'm gripped by something else. I count my life as nothing in compared to this, that I may finish the task that you have given to me, that I would share the gospel of the grace of God. And that's what we're going to do. And listen, I want us to, I like God has been gripping my heart with the preciousness of this message that he's entrusted to us. There was a number of you guys that were at our, at our Bible study this week, yes, in, in the Bible study in Titus. There was something that I cannot move on from, from just the opening address that Paul has to Titus. He says it in many ways in many places, which only just deepens this. 
But here's basically how he says it in Titus, and it really describes the gold, the treasure God's entrusted to us. Paul says, the hope of eternal life, which is eternal life is like the life of God, the new creational life, the hope of eternal life, which was promised before the ages began, now at the appropriate time, at the time that God deemed is right, is being manifested, revealed, made known, how? Not just by God doing it, but through the proclamation of the word of God that Paul says, I've been entrusted with by God himself. So here, Paul would say in other places that the gospel is the hidden wisdom of God, or it is almost like this mystery that's been veiled from ages and generations past, but now in this time is being unveiled, how? By our preaching of it. That... Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. <laughs> Before the beginning was just God. We're just going to stop there. <laughs> no. Father, Son, Holy Spirit dwelling. I don't know what was happening, but I know they existed for eternity. And at that moment, in God's heart was a plan, a promise. He saw from beginning to end. He saw the fall. He saw Israel. He saw the kings, the prophets. He saw his son. He saw it all. And he said, there isn't a plan that I have in my heart that will bring about the restoration of all things, will bring about eternal life. And what Paul is saying is that eternal plan hidden in the heart of God from before the ages began has now been made known through man being trusted with it to share it with others. This message we've been given, guys, it's not just like the ABCs. And although we're going to look at the, the foundations, we've been entrusted with God's eternal plan and promise. The most precious thing to the heart of God, he's given it to people like you and me. We've been given, as heralders of the gospel, we've been given a divine trust, a sacred treasure. God, you could just be sovereignly just dropping in people's minds. But you, in jars of clay, have deposited this treasure, and we get to share it everywhere we go. And every time we share the gospel, what you're doing is you're making known what was in the heart of God before creation ever began. And you're inviting people into the hope of eternal life. Listen, John Stott, he's a a well-known theologian. He says it this way. He says, the proclamation of the gospel is the bridge that spans two entities. What are they? past promise before anything was created and future fulfillment when all things are made new. The gospel spans the the gap between those two. So where we were right in the gap between past promise, future fulfillment, and what we're doing is we've been entrusted with this message and every time we preach and share it, it's like these two opposite ends are drawing nearer or closer and closer and closer and closer together. Every time we go out and demonstrate and share the gospel, what was in his heart, it's like what what, what we're waiting for is breaking in more and more and more and more and more. Hallelujah. This is, guys, this is gold that God's given us. Oh, that our eyes would be open and say, God, you've entrusted your eternal plan and promise to me. I I don't know about you, but if, if my wife or someone gives me something of great value, we're not just going to cheaply throw it away. I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to make sure it's safe. I'm going to to show people and say, look what I have, right? Oh, that the treasure of the gospel, God's heart would be made known to us. So, as I said, this is foundational, what we're going into today, though. So, although this is a treasure, I really want to help us. Because your heart can be stirred and say, well, what what am I sharing? (laughs) So, listen, the good news, euangelion is the Greek word. It's good news. It's news, first off. So, so we're going to look at two things. The gospel is meant to be proclaimed. What does a news anchor do? He broadcasts the news. 
The gospel is meant to be announced, proclaimed, testified to, as Paul just re- re- uh, read in Acts. Why is that important? Because as important as it is that we don't want to be proclaiming something that we're not living, absolutely, we want to make sure our lives are touched by the gospel, it's as equal error to think that we should just live the gospel and never proclaim it. The early church was not just being persecuted or words, or let's go to the opposite side. They weren't experiencing the glory of cities being revived simply because they lived the gospel. That's part of it, but it's because everywhere they went, they were actually sharing it with everyone they went to, proclaiming it every place they went to. So the gospel must be proclaimed. It must be announced, declared. But there's another part to it, which is what we're getting into today, and I want to empower you, is that the gospel also requires not only proclamation, but also explanation at times. In other words, if you watch what Paul does when he goes throughout the book of Acts, is one of his number, the number one expressions of his ministry is as he went into the synagogues, it says he reasoned with them through the scriptures. Which is mean Paul, because he knew how precious this message was, didn't just go around and say, you guys need Jesus, see you later. <laughs> but reasoning with them, he would walk them through the scriptures very carefully, thoughtfully, meticulously, said, let me show you. Questions would arise, how is Jesus this, how is Jesus this? Paul said, let me show you, let me show you, let me show you. And it's as we, listen, I want us to grow and we're going to proclaim the gospel, but we also want to learn how to be able to explain the gospel as well. Because unintelligible news is not good news. If a person can't fully understand what exactly is happening, they can't enter into the good news that they're being shared. Now, I'm all for, and I get it, God, I want you to know, God will trump and and he'll cover everything in our life as we go. Like, when in doubt, you're going, and God's grace will cover it. But There's a place where, like anything, we want to grow in what God has entrusted. And the more we grow in it, the more effective effective we will be. Right? So uh, here's a picture um, I was thinking about in terms of the need to, at times, to explain the gospel, how we want to be equipped in this. And as you go, you're going to face these things. But I want you to just imagine, come with me back to 1945, and we're in Eastern Europe somewhere, and we're with American uh, prisoners of war in in a German prison camp. Okay? Pretty uplifting stuff right now. (laughs) No, but just hear me for a moment. Imagine that these prisoners have been in here for several years, and they're experiencing harsh conditions. I mean, their their captors have been cruel to them, right? They've been in this imprisonment for quite some time. They have no idea what's going on in the outer world. And all of a sudden, one of the the prisoners, one of the American soldiers, sneaks in a shortwave radio, and they're all huddled in a a bunker, and they're listening to the shortwave radio while the guards are outside. And as they're listening, they're beginning to hear what's been going on in the outside, and they hear that the Allies have broken in and victory is imminent. Liberation has come. And now the Allies are going from city to city to city and liberating those who are under this occupation. Freedom is here. What do you think is going to happen? Every soldier there is going to erupt with joy. They're going to be just exclaiming, freedom has come, we're set free, right? But imagine if that that announcer that was on the radio began to use certain technical terms that certain uh, prisoners were there did not understand. What would happen as certain soldiers are erupting with joy, the other ones would be saying, what is he saying? What does that mean? What did it mean when he said this? What did it mean when he said this? And they can't enter into experiencing the glorious good news that's being shared until they have understanding of what it is that's actually happening. So what would happen? One of the other soldiers would say, well, he meant this when he said this. He meant this when he said this. And now they too can join in. Guys, when we share the gospel, we will share with people, Jesus paid a price for you. You say Jesus paid a price. What price did he pay for me? Why did I owe something to Jesus? You say he died for me, but why do you have to die for me? 
This is where it's so important that we grow in learning this. It's almost like the gospel is a language. I don't know how to describe it, and I don't mean it's a form, but it's like the more you understand the gospel, there's these pillars that have this language to it. If I were to ask my wife to go minister to a Russian man and say, can you go speak to him in Russian? She would say, I can't do it. Why? I don't know the language. And sometimes there's hesitancy to share the gospel because we haven't done our part in stewarding knowing the language, like knowing what these things are. And the more you sit in it, it's not about learning a method or like a a perfect thing, but it will become so familiar to you that as you're sharing, you'll be able to hear what someone's saying and bring the gospel right to them in this very personal, direct way. Amen? So all that to say, here's a a really, uh, you may think this is boring, but my heart's been so touched this week. This is why gospel doctrine really matters really matters. Like some say, oh, doctrine, that's, that's for like the really serious. No, gospel doctrine really matters because doctrine means the ability to teach, explain, clarify. And the reason why gospel doctrine really matters, the reason why we know what it is that we're talking about and able to share it is because the gospel is so full and so rich and so wonderful that it is, it's like an open treasure chest of which as we are presenting to individuals what it is that God has done, it's like we're taking out different jewels and gems and diamonds and presenting before them saying, this is what the Lord has done. Gospel doctrine is us really being able to have the ability to define the value of the treasure box called the gospel so that they would be able to fully enjoy what it is that we're presenting. And at the same time that they would not discard or throw away what we're presenting because they thought what was really a diamond was just a mere crystal. Well, we say, we say, listen, he, Christ died for you. Oh, so someone died for me. That's great. And you say, no, 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 not someone. <laughs> the Holy One, the King of glory, who entered in for you and gave up all things for you. Like, this is where now what you're doing, you're saying, no, this isn't a mere crystal. Look again. This is a diamond that we're presenting to you. The more you understand these facets, the more you are able to articulate by the power of God this clear understanding of the treasure that it is that you are expressing towards them. All the while, listen, if you're a seasoned Christian, understanding the gospel again and again allows you to take the old gems that's been buried in the treasure chest for some time, allows you to take them out, polish them off, set them on the beautiful place they should be, where you could say, I'm stunned all over again, (laughs) awed in wonder as to what it is that the Lord has done. And all the while, when we explain the gospel to one another and to others that we go to, we do this all the while with our heads bowed low in wonder that the king of glory would even let us touch his diamonds. The whole time, we tremble at the cost of what it is that our fingers are touching. We lift up prayers. Our prayers ascend for help, lest any stone be minimized or misplaced. For we are dealing with the eternal plan of God, entrusted to man. We say, God, I I will lay down my life to know this and to share the message of this God-man who came and saved me. Amen? Amen. Now, a little disclaimer, though. Even though we're going to look at, and and this will be, I'm just going to kind of run through the the bold points today. It's not about going in depth. But I want you to know this. Even though everything that we're sharing about the importance of explaining the gospel, it's important that we're able to articulate and walk people through and reason with them. But the ultimate goal of the gospel is not just explanation. It is ultimately unto encounter. It is ultimately unto them experiencing the very God that you're leading them to. Yes? So, but this is important, guys, because a love letter, think about a love letter. A love letter must be intelligible. It must be. But the point of a love letter is not merely grammar and logic. It's love. 
But if the person can't understand, they can't receive it. But the whole point is that they would understand, not so that they just had understanding, but that they could encounter the love of the one who wrote it to them. And the same thing, we want to know these things, but they're not ends in of themselves. They are a means to an end to lead people to God himself. If we do not lead people to God, we have not led them to what makes the good news so good. The ultimate good of the good news is God himself. The gospel is God. Not all the things around him, as nice as they are, all of those things are enriched and sweetened only because it leads us to him. Why is justification so good? Only because I can know God now. You take out God, all of these things wither. I feel like it's like the sun. You remove the sun and the flower begins to wither. You remove the sun from the gospel and every precious jewel we just described withers away. Becomes corrupt and rusted. Everything, 1 Peter 3.18 says that the righteous died for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So everything that we're describing here, all the manifold glories, as glorious as they are, are meant to point us to the Lord. Amen? All right. So I have my, uh, my wife. She's going to help me out with this um, because it's, I'm telling you right now, you're going to get a lot of scripture right now. <laughs> but, but listen, I'm not going to give a lot of commentary. I'm, gonna let, I'm just going to let the scriptures speak for themselves here. What is this news? What is this message that we are to proclaim, explain, and ultimately lead people to encounter? I want, us to, I want you to see it for yourself. And here's the way I've done it. There's a lot of ways you can present the gospel. I actually wanted the scriptures themselves to provide the definitions for the gospel. The gospel is used so many times, you could actually take all of the words and, pre- and present a definition just based off of the scriptures themselves. Now, I've, I've had to cut back significantly, but I've taken the kind of the, some of the main texts to show you in the scriptures how it defines good news, euangelion, and we're, it's almost like we're going to be putting a different piece of the puzzle along the way. And then at the end, I'm just going to give you the summary paragraph of this treasure box that God has given to us, okay? And I pray that you'd be equipped and empowered to do that. So um, before, we, before we look at that, just three, three big things. I do want to share this. Number one, the, the gospel is good news, euangelion. It's, it's not just news, it's also good. Don't ever forget that. <laughs> Don't ever forget that. Although there can be a number of different reactions for different, way, different reasons, and although there is a real aspect of God's kingly authority coming into someone's life and not all want to surrender their life to that, I want you to know that the good news is, is good. It is a message of victory and hope. Like, I just am still growing in the revelation of how good of a message this is. If ever you lose sense of awe and wonder and amazement as to the type of message, the quality or content of this news we're bringing, I invite you to go back to the night it was first declared to the shepherds in the field. And when the angel said, fear not, I bring you good news, gospel, euangelion of great joy. It is the gospel of great joy. Not just joy, great joy. Actually, what that really implies is explosive, exuberant joy, like festive celebration. In fact, the angels, the heavens opened up that night and the angels were praising God in this halal praise, which is like festive praising, dancing, because the day had come where the Messiah, the Savior was born. So know this, what we declare when you go out, we're not saying, I'm sorry, I got to share something with you. (laughs) I'm sorry, I got to do this. But listen, no, you're saying, guys, I have something to share with you. Glorious good news. Glorious good news. Let the joy of the Lord touch our hearts as we share it. One of the things you find in Acts is basically the the coming of the Holy Spirit is like two things are going to happen. You're going to have incredible uh, resistance, but you're going to have incredible joy through it all. 
And so even as like we're going, listen, all that, there's a joy. I think we should be sharing the gospel with a smile. <laughs> we're bringing good news. Like this is good news. If you look at the scriptures, when, when Jesus in the Old Testament, when they see the, this messianic king approaching, the people were never like, oh my goodness, he's coming. It was, they would, they were saying like Zechariah 9, it was shouts of joy. Your liberator has come. Now listen, for those that have rejected, that's a different story, but we're, we're telling people, look, you can respond to this right now. Your liberator, your king has come. So number one, it's good news. Number two, very important, it is an accomplished event. The, go- the, the gospel is an accomplished event. The gospel is really fundamentally about something that has already happened which means it is an unalterable event in history. No power in heaven and earth can ever undo this, overturn it, reverse it. Yes? (laughs) Now that's important because although it's, it's an accomplished event, to be clear, its effects are still being felt today, no doubt about it, but its effects are very different than the event that actually took place. God has done something, guys. It's a finished work. So we're going out uh, really declaring an event that has taken place of what God has accomplished, namely in his son. And then lastly, the gospel is the gospel of God. It's a phrase that's used often. What does that mean? That means, number one, God is the supreme treasure of the gospel, as I've already said. But number two, it means that God is the source and cause of all that it entails. The gospel is not about what God is requiring, but what God has provided that's very important. Now, let me be clear. The gospel requires, there is a response from man, and when the gospel touches your life, there's going to be a profound impact that will produce a fruit that we know. That's how you know you really encountered it. But that fruit and all that comes from that is not the gospel itself. The gospel, there's a difference between the content of the gospel and the consequences of the gospel. Because what we can start thinking is if someone responds or doesn't, let's just say someone doesn't respond, we can think maybe, I don't know, maybe this didn't happen. Regardless of if someone responds or not, It doesn't matter. The gospel, we're going saying this is what God has done. It's more about divine achievement, not human accomplishment. We're declaring God has made something possible. It's God initiated, Christ accomplished. All we can say is receive. That's it. Amen? Okay. So, can you guys kind of see these scriptures with my big body in the way? Because I can't really move over too much. So you ready? You've got notepads. I wanted you to see this. Most of the scriptures will be up here. This is how we're going to close this thing out, is I'm going to just give you some of the cliff notes, I guess, if you will, for this. It's all, all good. Just give some time. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned, these things are just to whet your appetite and provoke you to go deeper in it. So, Let's just let the gospel define itself. Here's the first thing. The good news, the good news begins, and again, this is not about an order, but just to get you set in these big principles. The good news is that there is a living God. This is very, this is very important, okay? So when Paul comes to, uh, Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra, they heal a crippled man, and what happens is the whole town, if you ever read this, come out to meet him, and they think that they're Zeus and Hermes. They say the gods have come down to meet us. And so they're ready to offer these sacrifices to them. And Paul stops and is like, no, 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 no. Do not do that. And Paul, here's what he'll say in verse 15 as he begins to open up and preach. He says, men, why are you doing these things? Worshiping us, offering up sacrifices for us. He said, we also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news. We bring you euangelion, gospel. And he says that you should turn from these vain things to a living God 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So the foundational stone of the gospel is that there is a God who is creator of all and he's made everything in this creation. That's really important, guys, because redemption will never make any sense if there's not a God who's first created everything. For why are all things being redeemed? You will come against many people who have many different worldviews, many different perspectives as to their existence and why they're here. What you're sharing is, guys, I have really, really good news. <laughs> you're not here by chance. You're not here by random. You're not even here just by your parents' choice. You're not here just by some combustion of something. You're here because there's a living God who has personally created you and desires to have a relationship with you, regardless of what your worldview may be. Paul is actually taking them higher, saying your religion has not gone to the, um, you've settled at a lower bar. Paul wants to lift them higher, saying, you worship men, you worship created things, let me take you to the creator. <laughs> let me show you the one who's made all of this. So you first, it's about anchoring them in a biblical worldview. Let's look at the second thing. If you go to the next slide. The good news, though, is also about the arrival of God's kingdom and its king. So he's not only creator of all, he is king of the universe. <laughs> This is really good news, guys. The gospel is that God is creator of all, but that he is also king of the universe, and namely in the gospel that his kingdom has come along with his king. There is no hope if God does not bring his imperial authority on the earth. The only thing that can deal with all of the effects of sin and brokenness is God's authority that comes to begin to set everything straight. So look at Isaiah 52, 7. I went to the Old Testament because it's Paul quotes this in Romans 10, 15, but you really get a better picture of it. And if you go to the original text, it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness. So he says, brings the gospel of happiness. I mean, he's, that's an amazing thing right there. The gospel of peace, the gospel of happiness, who publishes or pronounces salvation. It's the gospel of salvation. And who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the gospel, the good news, is not only that there's a creator who lives in the heaven and earth, but he also reigns. All things come under his authority. And Isaiah foresaw a day of which the hope of humanity was God's kingdom was going to break in. And when God's kingdom breaks in, everything that sin has touched is now going to be reversed and undone. And God's going to set everything straight. So according to the scriptures, when would God's kingdom come in? It, came th it needed a king, and that king is Jesus. When we declare the good news, we are saying, guys, there is a king of the universe. There is a king of kings. He, uh, he has a throne in heaven. He's creatable, but he's king of all, and he's entered into creation to set everything straight, to bring justice to the injustices, to restore all things. Go, can you go to the next slide? Here's just a few things that show you Jesus is this king. Mark 1, 14, 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, the euangelion of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? The kingdom of God is here. That's what we're proclaiming. It's not just, this thing is so much bigger than I ever realized when I was first in the Lord. This is about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. God's rule has come. How has it come? with a king, and this is Jesus. He is the long-awaited king that everyone's been waiting for. Yes? Go to the next one. Here's another way. Uh, this is when Philip is preaching. It says, now after John was arrested, this is, he's preaching to the Samaritans, 
After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, the gospel about the kingdom of God, there it is, God's rule, his authority is here, and the name of Jesus Christ. Why was Philip preaching the gospel of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is the king. He's the king that has come. This set everything straight. Let's look at the next one. Oh, I love this one. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the good news, the gospel of God, and he's going to start to describe what it is, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Who is David? That's the kingly line. He's saying that the, the good news of the kingdom has come because the long-awaited son of David, the, the prophesied messianic king, has come. And when Jesus comes as the king, guys, I cannot stress this enough, his kingdom touches everything. When we go to declare that God's rule is here, I know anything, every effect of sin cannot stand when the kingdom of God comes in. We, this is what we're releasing God's kingdom here. Look at the next verse. This is what happens when the kingdom of God comes. coming up uh, here it is ready this is what this is what it looks like when we go out starting starting to declare the kingdom because Jesus did this and he's going to give us his spirit to continue it it says and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel good news of the kingdom and what does that entail and healing every disease and every affliction among the people why because these are works of Satan Acts 10.38 says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So if they, were, they had sickness, they were under the oppression of the devil. That is a result of the fall of man. Jesus came as the second Adam to deal with that and bring the kingdom of God. So he's bringing the gospel of the kingdom and he's saying God's rule and authority is here. Every sickness, every affliction, and it keeps on going. Well, let's just, let's just read it. It's so good. Verse 24 so his fame spread throughout all Syria. The name of Jesus was going out. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and para paralytics, uh, those who couldn't walk, and he healed them. This is, this is vastly different. As important as the forgiveness of sins is, let's just understand that's an entry point to the kingdom of God. This is vastly different than just get your heart right with God and hang on. This is about God's breaking in. If you look at the summary statements of Jesus' ministry, almost every time it summarizes this, he came to oppose the reign of the devil. Somehow he came to break the works of Satan. 1 John 3, 8, that the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of Satan. And that's what we're sent to do. So in Acts 17, where Paul, Silas, and James, they're out in Thessalonica, and it says that they're preaching and the whole thing is being uh, turned upside down, and the Jewish officials grab these men. They, actually, they look for Paul and Silas. They can't get them, so they get James. And they, the Jewish officials bring James before the Roman guards, and they say, these men are turning the world upside down. And then, and then they say this. They say, they, they basically, they come against the decrees of King Caesar. And how? I wonder the official, like, how, how do they do this? The Romans saying, they preach that there's another king, Jesus. What did they preach throughout the book of Acts as they went from city to city, that there is another king? king and his name is Jesus but this is our hope he doesn't bring his authority nothing will, no one will be set free all right next slide he's not only creator of all he's not only the king in his kingdom but our king guys the creator of all 
the king of all, when sin entered in, did not crumple up the earth and blow it away, but instead he enters into our creation, the king of glory, and he ultimately will become our savior now by dying and rising again for our sins. No better place than 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 3. I've just abbreviated so you can see it. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And here is the good news, the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And it would go on to say that he was also raised again. So the creator of all, the king of all, is now the savior of all who would respond to it. How? By dying for our sins. The cross, guys, the cross is God's, essentially it's God's payment for all sin that led to broken covenant. If you want to know what happens when covenant is broken, go to Deuteronomy 28. It lists out the catalog of penalties, sickness, oppression, natural disasters, all of these come out. Jesus' blood and what he did is so sufficient that at the cross, every single sin and all of the effects of broken covenant was put on him. He put it to death, rose again, and ushers in a new covenant, a new era, which is now the blessing of God is going out, touching the wilderness and dry places. Like the, the barren souls and the barren places are coming alive in him. Hallelujah. But if he just died for you, it wouldn't be enough. He resurrected as well. <laughs> this is more than a happy ending for Jesus. His resurrection means he conquered everything. Death could not hold him. If Jesus doesn't rise again, then he's not ruling. And if he's not ruling, then it's not good news. But he rose again. Everything that we deserve, put on him, put to death, rise again, saying it's conquered. Death couldn't hold this man. There is a quote by John Christum that just so stirred me. There's more to it, but he talks about how death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Actually, speaking of like hell, Hades, right, Sheol, what, what the, that's a mockery statement. Death and hell were being mocked by him. And John Christum said this. He says, death and hell was angered when it tasted Christ's flesh. Wow. <laughs> think, think about this. It's almost like death, the way those pictures describe it, death is alive, it's powerful. When Christ's flesh entered death, it was angered when it tasted the flesh of Christ. And this is why it says, they were angered for, it, for they were abolished. They were angered for they were mocked. They were angered for they were slain. They were angered for they were overthrown. They were angered for they were fettered with chains and chains. Oh, death, where is your sting? Come on, this is just such good news. But listen, it gets better. There's more. Your creator, who's king over all, who's brought his kingdom, who dies in your place and rises again. There's, now, there's no good news, though, without the spirit of God. <laughs> Look at this one. <laughs> he didn't just leave us there with forgiveness of sins. Verse 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, he, he gives an illustration of a winnowing fork. I've just for time's sake, I don't have it here. But look at verse 18. It's the key. It says, so with many other exhortations, this is John, he preached good news, gospel to the people. Many other that word other means what he just said was part of the gospel. He kept preaching the gospel after this, meaning what I just shared was the gospel. What is that? That Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Part of the good news, actually it's really not good news until you know this, is that all of what he's done is leading to the presence and power of Christ, the Holy Spirit coming to indwell you and rest on you. 
leading people to actually encounter. Guys, when we pray for people, we lead them in there. Let us not forget that it's, I say this a lot. I know some of you know it, but some of you don't. When Mary Magdalene saw the resurrected Christ, she went to cling to him. Do you remember that? She clung to him. And what did Jesus say? Do not cling to me for I've yet to ascend. Because what happens at the ascension is the pouring out of the spirit. But if not careful, a lot of times we stop with a halfway gospel. We're clinging to the reality, as glorious as it is, that we've been forgiven, that our sins have been washed, but not letting us go into the place that that was meant so that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. You could be touched by the power of God. That you're not just living in a neutral state of forgiveness, but that you're alive now, consumed by the Spirit of God. So don't be, don't, don't be nervous. Say, hey, we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come right now and touch your life. And God will do it. I'm excited right now. <laughs> All right, we're almost there. We're almost there. So here's, okay, the promise here, next slide. The, the part of the good news, though, is also that this gospel is so powerful, it produces salvation now for all who believe. So if you believe in what I just said, that God, you have a creator who made you, sin has touched your life, but he's king and he's come and he's died in your place and rose again, he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit, you believe in this message, you will experience salvation. Verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I don't want my mouth muzzled. Why? He knows something. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the good news is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is only one means of salvation, Christ crucified. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed to share it because it's the only way and it's powerful. All that I've shared up until this point is really about the good news about what God has done for you. But part of the gospel now is what God is doing in you. <laughs> the gospel, if you believe in all the things that we just shared, here's what's going to happen. That is the power of God. When you respond in faith to that, which is by grace, there's a, this collision in your heart and your life where salvation touches your life. And guys, salvation is not just, again, like, it's more than just a soul, like, being converted. Salvation is every gospel promise. This is how the Jews described it. They had this one word. It was salvation. Now that Jesus has resurrected and ascended and is reigning, salvation has come, meaning restoration of everything. Salvation includes not only a, a spiritual saving like the soul and being justified and sanctified, but your body's being touched, being, being delivered as part of salvation. Families being restored. You would see Jesus restoring outcasts back into the community. Salvation is about everything that was out of order. Now that the reign of God is on the earth touching it, everything's being brought back into the order of God. This is the hope that we have. Look at uh, Luke 4.18 to show you this. This is what Jesus said after he was baptized. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel. Good news. Euangelion. And here's what part of the gospel, the salvation is. Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Salvation is blind eyes opening physically, but also spiritually. It's, it's like oppression, people that are under just demonic oppression being delivered. Like salvation is such a massive thing and we get to go out and bring it and see all of those effects go into people's lives. And everything that I have shared, the whole thing is rooted in grace. This is where it's like, what? For where I started was Acts 20, 24, where uh, Paul says, I testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Everything I just said, guess what? It all comes from God. 
God is the source of it. God desired to this. It's his good will. He chose to do this. Ephesians 1.4 says that God's called us to be adopted as his children before the foundations of the earth to the praise of his glorious grace. Grace is established before me and you ever took a breath. God says, this is what I'm going to do. This is the eternal plan to restore humanity and the cosmos. The grace of God is the good news of what God promises to do in sinners and how he achieves it through Christ. By grace, he justifies us. By grace, we have peace with God now and peace with one another. By grace, we have life incorruptible. That's the way Timothy describes the gospel. These are all scriptures. By grace, we're forgiven of our trespasses, empowered for good works, enabled to endure afflictions with joy. Our hearts are filled with eternal comfort and hope. Actually, a good hope, it says. And the list goes on and on. And so I'll encourage you with this. Grace has come to provide all of this. And here's the last thing. <laughs> if, you, if you hear that and say, how will I know with confidence that God will treat me this way, that grace will be extended? Because a lot of times we know that God extended grace when we were first saved. But, but now that I've grown, like, uh, you know, now it's me and Jesus. Now there's things that we're maturing in, no doubt. But you know that if Jesus were to remove his blood off your life, no matter how well your devotion life is, it'll never be enough. That's not to say we should not do it, but that actually is, will empower you, I think, by grace to stay in that. But no matter how well you think you're doing, remove the blood off your life right now and your whole life falls apart. It has always been Jesus and always will be Jesus. Now, why I say that is because you can have confidence, and when you share with others, that grace will be in their life for eternity because here's how I'd say it. Grace is unjust if Jesus didn't die. Do you know that? Grace would actually be unjust if Jesus didn't die because God would be then blatantly overlooking rebellion against his authority and just saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But here's what the Lord said to me. <laughs> he said, if it's unjust for me to give grace if my son didn't die, it would equally be unjust to not give grace since my son has died. And not just trickles of grace, copious rivers of grace. When you stand and say, God, I don't deserve this. I, you shouldn't be doing this. I've messed up and again. I, I can't do this, guys. God's saying, I'm doing this not because you deserved it. I'm looking at my son. He says, I, I'm responding to the worth of my son and the worthiness of his blood. And when I look at that, the only thing that's just is a washing of grace forever over your life. When I say grace is just now because of what Jesus has done, I don't mean that God is now feeling like doing this, although his desire is for that. Just is a legal term, meaning he's saying, I'm, I'm legally binding myself to what my son has done. I am legally bound that when I see my son and what he's done and someone trust in what my son has done, I will most certainly forgive them of their sins, bring them into new life, give them peace with me and peace with man, give them life incorruptible, fill them with the Holy Spirit. How do I know you'll do that? I've done so many jacked up things because I look at my son. But I was doing well and then messed it up again and again and again. He said, but I'm looking at my son. This is grace. Grace flowing. Receive it this morning. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for the gospel of grace, God. Oh, that it's all centered on your son. We lift up the eyes and the hearts of those who have looked to self and have been filled with despair. We say, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to your Savior. Behold, 
Behold the King of glory. Behold the King of kings. His blood is enough. His body is enough. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.